Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most inspiring and successful healthcare leaders. I want to really thank you once again for tuning in and invite you to go to outcomesrocket.com slash reviews. Give us a rating and review there through Apple Podcasts. And uh, one of our favorite things is looking at when the listeners let us know what they think. So drop us a line there. Let us know what you think of the show. I want to introduce to you an amazing guest today. His name is Ira Pastor. He is the CEO of BioCorp Incorporated. He is an extremely amazing individual focused in healthcare for almost two decades now. His interest lies in combinatorial biologics, and they're working to the level of the regulatory genome and just really doing some amazing things for age reversal as well as disease reversal. Super intriguing stuff that I think everybody's going to get a kick out of and really learn something from. So without further ado, I want to open up the mic to my amazing guest, Ira, and let him fill in any of the gaps in that introduction. Ira, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Saul. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Ira. And so why did you decide to get into the medical sector to begin with? I got my start as a pharmacist. And in pharmacy training, you know, back in the day, uh, they still taught a few semesters of what was referred to as pharmacognosy or medicinal botany. So mm-hmm. I guess I, you know, throughout the my development in the industry the last 30 years or so, I've always had appreciation for the natural world and sort of the fact that we live on this planet with organisms that sort of from a health and wellness perspective are are really much further advanced than we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously the audience is well aware that many members of the, of the amphibian kingdom are capable of replacing lost or damaged organs and limbs that are identical in both structure and function to the originals. Uh, they Which do is the amazing, same. right? Yeah. I mean, they do the same for limbs and hearts and parts of their brains, spinal cords, obviously. You know, we have a spinal cord legion, a serious one. We're in a wheelchair the rest of our lives. At the same time, they're very good, and this is lesser known, but it goes back to sort of seminal work in the 1940s at reversing the diseased phenotype. So as an example, uh, cancer is, you know, cancer strikes all of us on this planet from humans to dogs, to snakes, to frogs, to trees on down the line. But how the lower organisms deal with it is much different than we do. I mean, they just shrug it off and like to turn tumors and other forms of cancer back into normal tissue. And they do it very easily. And so, you know, the concept for BioQuark was basically taking a look at this, what you know, was referred to as sort of epimorphic regeneration and reprogramming that is done throughout the natural world and throughout the biologic kingdom, sort of reconnecting it to humans. Because here we are, we, we're the most advanced species on the planet, yet we, when it comes to sort of disease and, and degeneration, we're, we're not batting too well with regard to cures for some of these major diseases, Alzheimer's, cancer, just heart failure, what have you. Right. Basically, wanted to, to take a look at it sort of from a different angle. And so when we got into the area that we, so we defined as combinatorial biologics, when it's combinatorial, we're talking about ultimately how we could develop pharmacotherapeutic interventions that do more than one thing. 
So basically, don't follow the you know, sort of the single magic bullet formula that farm has been working on for the last hundred years. But basically, how we think outside the box and say, well, epimorphic regeneration is based on tissue reprogramming and histolytic events and control of the innate immune system. How do we create pharmacotherapeutic materials, bioproducts, what you want to refer to them as, that could do multiple things at once and be ultimately developed, regulated, registered as sort of a single drug entity. And that's sort of the path that we decided to take with this company and ultimately how we develop products of that nature and then utilize them for what we refer to as the three R's, regeneration, repair, and ultimately rejuvenation of aged uh, tissues in the, in the human body. I think that's super interesting, Ira. You're looking at this from a completely different perspective, out of the box, and looking across the species aisle, so to speak, and questioning why can't we use some of these things that are going on over there? Can you give us an example of how BioCork and you and your team there have improved outcomes by using these concepts? No, absolutely. So as mentioned, we are looking and our development platform is based on therapeutics that have more than one moiety or biologic moiety and can do uh, multiple things. So it is an example. We are working uh, with a, a set of groups overseas, one particularly in India right now on uh, spinal cord uh, regeneration research. And this is an area that has really languished uh, since sort of the beginning of the pharmaceutical industry, ultimately how we deal with neurogenesis in the central nervous system for the correction and repair of severe lesions, which ultimately, as humans, leaves us paralyzed and in wheelchairs for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. So we really wanted to understand how we could go beyond what exists currently, whether that they are therapeutics that stimulate only one aspect of neurogenesis or areas like stem cells, which have been exciting or been on the radar screen for a couple of decades now, but really haven't hit the, the ball out of the park yet. And so this is an area where we thought it would be you know, ideal for our research program, because when it comes to the area of spinal lesions, we're dealing not just with the ability to regrow new nerves and connect them in the appropriate ways, but also how we deal with all of the scar tissue and other sort of detrius within the, the wound itself uh, and how we turn that from scar tissue back into sort of normal tissue microenvironment found in the spinal cord. So, you know, we have been partnering our technology with firms in areas that we can speed up the clinical development. And this is one area where we've had some very interesting uh, sort of phase one, two outcomes so far in the breadth of spinal cord injury, starting from sort of AJA complete loss of function and loss of sensation and begun moving some patients in our early clinical program up the path towards Asia B, Asia C, and ultimately contemplating you know, complete reversal of paralysis. So this is a, a very exciting area for us. We can't claim yet that we're getting people jumping out of wheelchairs, but we are beginning to see the progression and the reprogramming of tissue just like it occurs in amphibians and other friends in nature that don't have to worry about paralysis and how we begin to get feeling and control of the bladder back 
so forth, and and ultimately the uh, the muscular responses. So that's been one area that's been very exciting for us. And needless to say, the the entire central nervous system just as a target moving forward the next uh, ten years in sort of our long term plan is a very important area for us. That's super interesting, Ira, and and congratulations on being able to get this amazing work done. Just imagine yourself sitting there, not able to move. Then all of a sudden, a company comes out with something that can help you find that hope. That's pretty amazing. And how far away was this? I, I just, you probably get this question a lot, but for Mr. Superman that, you know, was working so hard to get a solution. Well, that's a bit of a, uh, a longer story. A little bit of my background and experience in the the pharmaceutical industry, and as you're well aware, you know, the last, since the sort of the inception of the modern pharmaceutical industry, the sort of the trend has been in researchers attempting to reduce and studying a health disease at their most basic components. Right. So, you know, proteins, genes, cells, and sort of continually looking for targets to develop drug compounds that interfere in some fashion with biologic processes. But the problem has been that from the perspective of drug development, many of these targets, while they have generated wonderful treatments for us and you know, trillions of dollars of wealth, most of these traditional targets, right, what I refer to as the big eight, sort of, you know, your inflammation, immune response, fibrosis, thrombosis, and hemorrhage, and then cell proliferation, apoptosis, and necrosis. These are all outputs of disease. Ultimately, we've done very little as an industry to develop biologics or biomaterials, what, drugs, whatever you want to call them, for the biologic factors that precede the pathologic disease state. And this has been one of the, the stumbling blocks. So, you know, combine that with the fact that the reductionist approach that's used to identify disease mechanisms or targets has completely ignored the fact that disease is rarely, if ever, a consequence of an abnormality in a single gene product or so, but is an emergent state of multiple biologic processes that interact with complex networks. So ultimately, you know, why hasn't this been done in the past? Because it is an integrated, complex, combinatorial target, <laughs> as most diseases are, yeah. Yeah. that you can address with a single magic bullet. It's right. not going to happen. So this is why, and, and you know, Obviously, this is a very unique concept. It it's is. not the way we've looked at things for 100 years. I mean, we might have looked at them before the, the modern era in this way, in the sense of you know, what we used as therapeutics. But ultimately, now we're seeing some of this reawaken in the minds of folks in the industry. And in case in point, you know, my former employer, when I used to work at GlaxoSmithKline, they recently entered this area that some folks are getting their feet wet in of, of so-called electroceuticals how one can get the drug completely out of the equation and just deal with the signaling events that are occurring. So I think we're beginning to see, even though it's slow, I think we're beginning to see the move by some of the old paradigm of saying, well, okay, maybe things don't always need to be done with a single magic bullet chemical and look like something else. And hence, that's why we're doing what we're doing. And Ultimately, in the future, you know, we couldn't have helped Christopher Reeve now, but cases like that will be something that we'll be able to eliminate in 20 years. So no, it's pretty interesting. And thanks for the context there. And I totally agree with you, Ira, this concept that, you know, we're, we're always targeting the disease and not what happens before that to prevent it. And I think it's a really great thing to have you focus there. Thinking 
about the mindset that exists today in the, the healthcare leader? What would you say a, a hot topic that they should be thinking about today as it relates to taking care of their patients and running their business? Well, I, I think a very hot topic is the transition in the mind to not just treating, but how the interventions that one sees coming down the pike, whether it's five or 10 years, but they're coming, how we move from a treatment-based or treatment-centric modality to a curative one. One example of this, as you know, we, we speak all about oncology in our business is sort of the, here's a, an example of an area that for, for decades now has been based around you know, what we refer to it in the company as sort of the kill-centric mentality, that at the end of the day, cancer is something, whether it's surgery or radiation or chemo or smart drugs or immunotherapy, that we kill. But once again, you look around nature and the ones that survive cancer are the ones that deal with it. It has nothing to do with killing. Just like you wouldn't cut out parts of your brain with Alzheimer's disease, does it always make sense to kill a tumor? Or like our friends in the natural world, can we turn it into something else like normal tissue? So right. really thinking of these unique concepts and you know whether they're here today or whether they're coming down the road, how we can begin to take a this word that much, but the holistic view on the patient and ultimately how that will impact the way I run my practice as a clinician and ultimately look at what that patient represents, whether it's a, a treatment event that we're going to maintain as such for a period of time or whether, hey, you know, there are X, Y, and Z coming down the pike. There are 500 clinical trials. Let's begin to integrate some of these new concepts and help this entire shift which we feel is quite, going to be quite transformational, occur uh, more rapidly. Ira, I would agree. You know, and thanks for those thoughts, listeners, that think about these ideas that Ira is sharing here. I mean, it is transformational medicine, and the traditional approaches that we've been doing, let's face it, it's we can do things better. So not to just pat ourselves on the back for all the amazing things that we've done, because we have, we have, but what can we do that's transformational? Mm -hmm. And these are some really interesting concepts, Ira. Let us know of a time when you guys made a mistake or failed and what you got out of that. Well, I think my grander experience in uh, the last 10 years in this company, but also thinking to sort of some of my other experiences from, from a previous company and also developing sort of non-traditional therapeutics has been running too quickly uh, with ideas that although... It, the regulators understood them, were not necessarily ready to approve them. Gotcha. Let me give you an example. All right. Um, prior to this, and this is sort of one of my connections into, into sort of this combinatorial dynamic, I worked for 10 years in the phytochemical arena and was involved in botanical drug development, which was an area that the FDA uh, created back in uh, – originally 1996, ultimately created formal guidelines in 2004. So basically, once again, how you merge this concept of, of multiple phytochemical entities in one pill and how you regulate that. And they created a wonderful set of guidance on how companies should go about doing this, including you know, some of the biggest were involved. The Pfizer was funding us at the time. But at the end of the day, what we realized that was a big difference between 
the regs that were put on the documents, and ultimately how the teams internally uh, at FDA wanted to you to develop something. So that was an example of getting something far into development into phase three and ultimately getting delayed substantially in further sort of registrational development because in those particular cases, the FDA was unused to seeing uh, clinical data occurring before preclinical data, which is in essence what the guidelines allowed you. So, you know, I have hundreds of patients of clinical data, but yet we're, we were pushed back to the rats and the rabbits wow. uh, for a couple of years. So that was one example of sort of running a bit too fast because the regs were sitting there online, but sort of not thinking that, the, you know, the reg- registrational system is, is more than just the regs. It's sort of the, uh, the organic system of people and personalities. And so that's one thing. That, uh, <laughs> that's such a great that. takeaway, Ira. And, and for everybody that's in the business of either pharmaceuticals or device or any product that's being regulated by them, it's very important to remember that there's a human factor in exactly. that as well. Exactly. Great takeaway. And so now what do you do? How do you, after that happened, how do you handle things based off of that experience? Very well-structured early preclinical development program, not skipping anything, and ultimately using the same guidance that you know they put out there as far as CMC and pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamic work, but basically understanding that uh, even though there are ways to speed things up and opportunities, we still need to dot all the I's and cross all the T's, yes. realizing before we get final approval. So it uh, just made us a little more structured, a little more conservative in how we're developing this program, but nonetheless, it did not scare us away from the fact that, hey, our drug product, at the end of the day, our API is going to look different than other APIs, but it will be, it'll be a drug like anything else. Love it. No, I think that's a great lesson there. And thanks for sharing it. Tell us a little bit more about an exciting project that you're working on today. Sure. So the one that generated quite a bit of excitement last year has to do with some of what we are moving forward with on the living cadaver research front. I know this this uh, this got a lot of uh, <laughs> excitement in the in the blogosphere with zombies and Frankenstein references and so forth. But it was a little less dramatic than that. But ultimately, we're focusing on how we can use an existing research model that has existed in the United States for a couple of decades now for toxicology and pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamic studies using uh, recently deceased cadaver subjects that have donated their bodies to science to test some of these particular models in human neurogenesis and vasculogenesis in the higher brain and brainstem. Obviously, this is a unique area, but it has gone on. Maybe it's not as sexy as uh, cancer or Alzheimer's research, but it has occurred for many years now. And ultimately, we are looking at it as one of the tools in a basket on how we study complex, complete human regeneration in in many different forms. So this has been an interesting path for us, sort of venturing beyond the the rats and the rabbits and the pigs. But you have this, you have a model there that (laughs) exists. It's legal, it's ethical. And um, it'll be interesting what comes out of it in, in this particular part of our program for higher CMS research. Oh, wow. Very interesting. So I can't imagine that a cup of coffee with you, Ira, is a normal cup of coffee. You know, you, I'm sure you, the conversations that could be had with you at a conference or anything like that will be just like this that we're having right now. So if anybody meets Ira out and about, 
at a conference, by all means, look at his badge. He's a handsome gentleman and have a conversation with him. I think what you'll find is uh, you'll probably get some new ideas and think beyond the box. So thanks for sharing that insight there. It's really exciting. Never even heard of that, actually. Absolutely. No, a lot, a lot of people haven't. It's, a, it's one of those things that's quietly gone on for the last 30 years <laughs> in the United States. But it's just, as I said, it's not sexy, but it's a form of research that, that we feel needs to be part of a complete human regeneration program at some point as we fix these, these complex diseases that kill us. Yeah. Very interesting. Ira, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 or the ABCs of Ira Pastor. And so you and I are going to write out the syllabus right now with four questions to this lightning round. You ready? Okay. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Move from a, uh, a treatment-based approach uh, that's highly targeted towards disease, or what we'll call genomic outputs, to a one that focuses on curative uh, interventions uh, and the pathobiological events that occur before one gets sick. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Moving too quickly without comprehensive understanding of the intricacies that are involved in sort of this 21st century systems-based model of medicine. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Always thinking outside of the box uh, with regard to our research programs, our disease targets, and our collaborative partnerships that any firm specifically in in the biotech field, needs to have to have a complete, uh, successful program. And what is one area of focus that should drive everything else in your organization? Never losing uh, sight of our goal, despite the amazing apprehension towards innovation that unfortunately occurs in the pharmaceutical industry nowadays. Love that. Ira, what would you say a book that you recommend to the listeners to add to the syllabus would be? One of my favorites that, uh, that got me started on this path, actually, uh, this is an oldie, you have to go uh, look into the used book section on Amazon, but <laughs> written by University of Indiana's Dr. Paul Pisch back in 1968, known as Shuffle Brain. It is one of the first examples of both brain transplantation and brain regeneration in the amphibian kingdom. It was written basically studying memory and and information processing, but the fact that he was able to move brains from one organism to another and keep species alive, it's a forgotten part of uh, sort of biomedical research, but it's out there. And the fact that it occurred in the 1960s, it's just one of those things that says, why do we forget so much that happened in the past? And why do so few people know about these wonderful discoveries uh, 50 years later? That's really interesting. Shuffle brain. So Outcomes Rocket listeners, take a look at all of these amazing things that we've talked about at outcomesrocket.com slash IRA. That's I-R-A. You'll be able to find all of the show notes as well as links to the companies that Ira is working with, as well as a link to this book, Shuffle Brain, that might blow your socks off. So Ira, really appreciate all the things that we've talked about today. Before we conclude, I'd just like to invite you to share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place where they could get a hold of you. Absolutely. So I'm located uh, www.bioquark.com. You can contact uh, me there anytime and and learn uh, about the company uh, from the website. 
ultimately, uh, we feel that from a future perspective, nothing is off the table. And when it uh, comes to the 100,000 people that we lose every day from age-related uh, diseases or the 50,000 people that die every day from acute trauma, it is well within the intellectual capacity of humans to solve these problems related to disease degeneration and death. And uh, we really need to think outside the box and not fall into any of the traps set by the, the previous uh, industry and the century-old model that has, uh, has done well at creating treatments but hasn't cured us of much. So... Uh, nature has a lot of solutions, and what we really need to do is follow the, the lead that they show us. That's a great message, Ira. Again, just want to thank you and encourage the listeners to think outside the box, look at nature for those answers, and think in a curative perspective as as Ira has laid out the groundwork here in our thinking. So without a doubt, Ira, this has been awesome, and really want to thank you for making the time to spend with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 